You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. That's right, because we're talking about monsters today. That's what we do here at 1208. Uh, actually, we're talking about Matthew 8, 23 to 27, which has nothing to do with monsters, or so you think. The more that we jump into it, the more you might be able to see themes that you never saw before. But we're not going to start in Matthew 8. We're going to start way, way back in the Old Testament, and we're going to make our way to Matthew 8. This is important that I say this. Because Matthew 8's towards the end of my message. And when you're like, wait, he just started getting to the main point like 20 minutes in. Everyone's like, I don't want to hear anymore. He's just starting. Don't worry. It's not going to be forever. So you think. Every pastor always says that, then he preaches forever. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. Order versus chaos. This is where we're going to start. Order versus chaos. God is order, Satan is chaos. God bringing the world into order is something that he does. Uh, Satan trying to pull that world out of order is something that Satan does. Now, chaos is all the world was before God started creating. You ever notice that in the Old Testament? Like, God made water, right? Because God made everything. But you ever notice, like, the water's already there in the story of God creating? You ever notice that? The, the Bible starts with God hovering over the face of the deep. The deep is the water. So you're like, Wait, hang on, back up a moment. When we start making waters, you know, like <laughs> the Bible shows God making everything else. What is this water? And so what, what we see here is this theme that the world is just chaos. It's the deep. It's dark. It's void. Everything is chaotic. And then God shows up. And what happens? Suddenly, things are pulled out of chaos, and they're pulled into order. God starts separating waters. He doesn't make water, like, disappear. Instead, he's, like, separating it, pulling land out of it, bringing things into order. And he just constantly goes on to to make more order. He brings uh, beings into the chaos of the water. He brings beasts onto the land. He brings humans into the Garden of Eden, this ultimate place of order. Because that's what Eden is. After God has brought things into order, suddenly there's Eden, this, this utopia, this paradise. And that's where God dwells amidst all of this order where everything makes sense. And it goes on for God to say, okay, we have order here. Now I've made human beings and I'm sending the human beings out of Eden into the rest of the world to establish order throughout the rest of, of creation. So God is order And anything that is chaos is anti-Christ, anti-God. It's something trying to pull order out of what God's put together. That being said, we've already seen like the deep, the waters, are seen in the Bible as like a big chaos motif. Okay? So if you're looking for chaos in the Bible, look for water. Uh, Back then, they believed that there were these these, uh, uh, giant legendary creatures in the water that uh, would come and, and destroy us all if, if we saw them. And it makes sense that they would think that because the water's really big. And we, we, we haven't even seen it all, right? We don't know what kind of creatures are out there. And that's why we make movies like Pacific Rim where suddenly these giant creatures come out of the ocean at the very bottom, down so much farther than we ever knew. Godzilla, right? <laughs> Coming out of the ocean. These, 
These are like modern day myths. But they had the same kind of myths back in Bible time. They talk about Leviathan, about Behemoth, about Rahab. These were creatures that, that were submerged under the waters of chaos. They were chaos creatures in the chaotic sea. And today we have our own stories of chaos with the sea, right? Bermuda Triangle, what is it? We don't know, just everyone who goes there seems to die, right? <laughs> like we don't understand, but it's our, it's our modern day myth of, of chaos in the waters. Today, people are afraid to get on boats because you hear stories of cruise ships sinking, of Titanic sinking. Why? Because of the chaos of the waters and the unknown that's out there. Well, think way back in the day, in the Bible times. They didn't have a map. They didn't have global positioning software to pull out on their phone and figure out where am I between Rome and America right now, right? They don't even know the world's round yet. All they know is like, well, I'm on land, there's sea, and it seems to go on for the rest of eternity. So when they get in a boat, it's just chaos. You don't know what to expect. So not only is water just chaos in general, but so are these chaos creatures out there. And today we're going to talk about some of those chaos creatures. It's going to feed into our story later. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time, though, on Leviathan. Leviathan, which means we've got to read Job 41. It's a poem about Leviathan. And in this poem, God describes this creature. And here's the reason God does it. Uh, he's trying to tell Job, look, Job, I'm in charge. I'm God. There's nothing that can challenge me, nothing that can beat me out. I am the ultimate authority in all the planet. And in order to illustrate just how much of an authority he is, God begins to describe Leviathan, this mythical creature. And he starts telling Job, like, hey, he's basically my puppy dog. I got him on a leash. I walk him around. You're all afraid of him. Spiritual beings are afraid of him. But me? Eh, he's just my little puppy. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the way that God describes Leviathan, like he's nothing. So we're going to talk about Leviathan. Um, there's different things that people think Leviathan is. Some people used to think he was a dinosaur that went extinct or that uh, it was a, a creature that was around in Job's time that's maybe gone extinct since then, a big sea creature of some sort. Uh, we, uh, most people don't subscribe to that theory anymore. It's not Nessie or anything like that, right? Uh, other people say it's a mythical creature. It's a legend of some kind of sea creature. And then a lot of scholars today actually are like, no, this is a real animal. And we think we know what animal it is. So here's the challenge to you. I have divine chocolate in my hand from Marketplace Mana. So uh, if you volunteer at Marketplace Mana, talk to Casey. He'll get you set up. Everything they sell there goes to help people around the world in all kinds of ways. But you get a taste of Marketplace Mana's goodness if you're right. Whoever's right first. I only got one of these. They're expensive. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to read Job 41 to you. I want you to tell me which real animal do you think scholars think it is. So I'm going to read the poem. You try to imagine what this animal is, and, and you let me know at the end of it. Okay? Everybody ready? Everybody good? Chocolate's in the game. You're listening. I baited you. Okay. Here's Leviathan. God says this about Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? 
Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? I told you, it's like his puppy dog. Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a brittle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror. His back is made up of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid at the crashing. They are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee for him. Sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts, not pants. I did that wrong when I was practicing. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One who would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth there is not this his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He's king over all the sons of pride. All right, hands up. Hands up if you think you know what it is. Yeah, Jacqueline. A whale. Most scholars don't think that this version of Leviathan is a whale, but there is a psalm where people think Leviathan is a whale. I would give you half a chocolate, but that's not the one we're going for. Yeah. Well, no, we need someone else first. Yeah. A serpent and deceive Adam and Eve. Mm. Technically, kind of. <laughs> but not, still not the real animal I'm looking for in this case. But you're not off. Yeah. Dragon. Technically, kind of. But not the real animal. It's still alive today, whatever this is. Yeah. Alligator. There it is. The crocodile. Yeah! Oh, whoops. Oh, I don't sports for a reason. Olivia? Olivia, give that to her. You worked there. You don't get to have more chocolate. Casey already pays you in chocolate as it is. Okay. An alligator. Yeah, so is anybody else like, what? Anybody? Look, I don't know about you, but I'm like, um, dear scholars... Did alligators used to have fire-breathing powers that I'm not aware of? Because the poem that I just read here, they say, like, it's just hyperbole. They're just being over-exaggerative. No, that doesn't... That's As as someone who likes to write poetic stuff, that's 
that's not hyperbole. That's like something, <laughs> something completely different. And the way that they would say is like, no, the alligator, it comes up to breathe. And when it comes up, snot and slime comes out of its mouth. And the light illuminates it. And voila, it looks like fire. And I'm just still like, mm, I think you might be pushing your luck here. Mythical creature makes a whole lot more sense when you look at the five places that this is mentioned. Plus, God says, says this in his poem. Like, if you come in contact with Leviathan, you ain't coming out. You're dead. Well, let me tell you, friends, I faced the crocodile's cousin, an alligator, and I survived. So, I'm living proof that that's not true. It was really stupid. Did you do that with us? Yeah. Okay, so we were in Florida on an alligator farm, and the people up on uh, telling us about alligators, they're like, they're actually fairly safe. Uh, They're not as deadly as people make it out to be. So when me and Joel and my family were walking around the alligator farm, there was one that was not where it was supposed to be, just sitting in the middle of the path. Guess what we did? We just walked right over its back. (laughs) In hindsight, real stupid. But at the time, we're like, they're fairly safe, right? So me, my brothers, my dad, my grandpa were just like, over the alligator and keep moving. Anyways, I faced it and lived. And God said I would have died if I faced it. Uh, so that's, that's just one thing. Uh, but we see elsewhere uh, Leviathan come up again. And this is where we see um, these other moments of truth here. In, in the end times, in Revelation, in the day of the Lord, which is when God will come and put all things right when Jesus returns, Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 27.1. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. The dragon that is in the sea. Right here, uh, even the word for serpent, as Val pointed out, uh, the word that they use for serpent is a form of nashash, which is the serpent in the Old Testament. So you see Isaiah making references to dragons. You see Isaiah making references to serpent. And therefore, you see Leviathan kind of as a satanic creature because he lives in the sea of chaos. He is a chaotic creature. And uh, right here... He's going to be put into, by God in the end, when God brings everything into full order. So, God's going to slay this creature eventually. The Bible also kind of says that he already did, which is true right now about Satan. God has already beat Satan, and yet at the end he will beat Satan again in fullness. Okay, So this all kind of lines up. Um, We see other chaos creatures in the Bible as well. We see Rahab. Oh, look at that monster. He's so... So happy. Uh, Rahab, and this isn't the prostitute of Jericho. That's a different Rahab. That's a Rahab most people know in their minds. Uh, But this one is actually like a a sea being. You could call it like a sea serpent. It's probably better understood as representative of water in the sea and water in the sky. Uh, It's also representative in the Bible of Egypt. Okay? So Egypt since they are against God's people, since they are oppressing God's people, Egypt in the Bible, there's certain lingo if you pick up on it. Egypt is painted as a chaos creature. And you especially see that with Rahab because God says, hey, Egypt, I call them Rahab who sits still. In other words, God insults Rahab. They're this big chaos monster, but they can't do anything. So 
Egypt is, is chaos as well. And then uh, if you look at the Rahab verses, you see the same thing as Leviathan. This creature will be and has already been crushed by God. And then there's Behemoth. Uh, this one's more like a land-like chaos creature. Okay, So you've got, your, you've got your water creatures we've already talked about. This one's on the land. And if you read it, you see God bringing his sword before Behemoth as well. So three chaos creatures associated with disorder that in the end God will slay and has slayed already. All right, this brings us into Matthew, what uh, I really want to talk about today. Uh, we've hit on this verse before, but we're doing it in a different light today. Matthew eight twenty three through 27. Jesus has been doing ministry. It's been busy, uh, so busy that he is asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. And we're not talking like big boat. In my head as a kid, I always thought this storm was about like Jesus inside of like a pirate ship <laughs> in one of those, you know, swaying hammocks. And that's, that's not a Jesus boat. A Jesus boat would have been like a big canoe, get on this big canoe and cross the waters. Jesus is in the middle of a storm on a big canoe, sleeping through it, while his disciples, some of them who are fishermen, are like, we're all going to die, right? So this is the picture being painted. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold... There arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped. Who just logged into Apple TV? I've dreaded this day. Aisha, I just gave you the password. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Mm, mm, sure, yeah, that's what they all say. Un momento, por favor, which Lydia would tell me means nothing in Spanish. Okay. And when he got to the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that the winds and sea obey him. This story should be hugely different scene in your eyes after everything we've just talked about, right? I mean, you've got Rahab in the, the storms of the sky and in the sea. You've got Leviathan in the sea. Uh, all of these creatures and the sea itself just pouring down this storm on Jesus. The, the sea, which has always in ancient culture been seen as like this chaos force, disorder. That to have order, you've got to be on land because that's what God created out of the sea. Here's Jesus amidst all of that. And like God who treats the sea like a puppy dog, Jesus is snoring through it. It's like it's throwing everything it has at him to the point that the disciples are like, we're all going to die. And Jesus is just like, you know, in the background. That right there, the, the, I, I think Matthew's painting a very important picture for us. The chaos that we fear, the, the mists of old that will destroy us. Satan himself rising up against us. And Jesus is like, what, huh? There's water in my face. What is that? Sleeping right through it, unfazed by all of it. And when they wake him up, he's just like, what was this? You of little faith, right? <laughs> and he, he rebukes it. He rebukes it. The word rebuke throughout the Gospels is usually used towards like 
demons, demonic forces, or demonic ways of thinking. When Peter uh, tells Jesus to do something uh, that is promoting Satan's message, Jesus rebukes Peter. When his disciples want to rain down fire on a place, Jesus rebukes his disciples. He's rebuking the satanic thinking out of their minds. But every time he casts out a demon, he's constantly rebuking the demons, casting out the demons, rebuking them. And now he comes up to a force that humanity has no control over. You don't just tell winds to stop and they stop, right? You don't just tell the sea to, hey, chill out, sea, and it chills out. Jesus wakes up in a slumber, annoyed by the disciples waking him up. <laughs> and he's just like, what? you guys of little faith. Hey, see, shut up already. And it just stops. That's how little chaos is in comparison to God. And Jesus illustrates it to us. Not the only time he illustrates it too. What's the other story? Jesus walking on water. That's a huge statement right there, right? That's a, hey, Satan, I walk on your face, right? (laughs) He's just walking right across the waves, walking across the sea itself, the chaos force, as though like chaos can't bring me down. Chaos has no control over me. I step on your face, chaos, right? That's the story that we find with Jesus. He walks on the sea. He sleeps through the storms. And when he's bothered by it, he just tells it to chill out, and it does it. Chaos tries to bring Jesus down. And it seems to only succeed when other human beings that Jesus know are compelled to join the chaos, or when Jesus decides to let the chaos overcome him in order that he might bring order out of the chaos, right? I mean, going to the cross, Jesus said, I could call down legions, from, uh, legions of angels and stop this right now. But instead he stayed silent, giving himself over to the chaos because he's baiting Satan to kill him. Because in doing that, the, Paul talks about it later, Jesus, in taking on the cross, he didn't just forgive your sins, he overthrew Satan's entire army. He overthrew all the dark powers on the cross. It was this like cosmic exorcism of sorts. Jesus has taken authority on the cross. So, yeah, sometimes he gives himself over to chaos, and he told us that we, too, would be given over to chaos. Uh, But uh, usually when that happens, ultimately we bring order out of it in the end. Even if it's giving our lives, being martyred, that's ultimately to make a statement to the rest of the world. I believe in God so much, I give my life over to him. If chaos has to eat me up so that you can see how good he is and how much I believe in him, I'll let that happen. Okay, so chaos, Jesus shows us that he's in control of it. It's got nothing on him unless he gives himself over to it. Uh, and you see it uh, come again in Revelation. This, as I said, God is a God of order. And in Revelation, he comes to bring fullness to the order, right? He came and he made us in Eden and then sent us out from Eden, told us, go into the rest of the world, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue it. In other words, you know what Eden's like. Now go to the rest of the world and make those places Eden as well. You are my agents of order. Uh, Revelation is him getting that back on track because Satan added disorder into it. Hey, you human beings. Why not try it this way? Suddenly we're dealing with sin, we're dealing with disorder, and everything's getting messed up. But God 
promises rather than to wipe us all out. One day he will come and finish the job, put order right, and bring it all back on track. So when you look at Revelation, here's what you might find very interesting. The creatures that we've talked about, the chaos creatures, they return. First off, Satan is a dragon, which we've already talked about. Leviathan was a dragon with seven heads. We didn't look at this passage, but guess how many heads Leviathan had? Seven. So, you know, a lot of times in Revelation, people are like, hey, it's a dragon with seven heads. I wonder what every head means. And that's fine. You can interpret that. But remember to step back and be like, oh, it's a dragon with seven heads. I've seen this in the Bible before. It's the chaos force. It's, it's Leviathan. But not even that. That's not even just Leviathan. Because there's also the first beast, right? The first beast that follows this dragon. The first beast is a seven-headed sea creature. It comes out of the sea. That right there is Leviathan. Returning to wreak chaos on the world. Reek, is that the right word? Not like smells bad, but the other reek. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, sure. That substitute's fine. Uh, and then you have the second beast, which guess what? Is a land creature. Behemoth was a land creature of chaos form. Uh, and he comes out of the earth in Revelation. And so you see the first beast, you see the second beast, you see the dragon, and you see God destroy them all, exactly as he promised to do with all these creatures. So before you go and heavily try to interpret every creature, stand back and realize, like, hey, these are the chaos forces that the Bible has always been talking about, that have always been representative of the world having disorder. And here in Revelation, God is squashing them, destroying them, and getting rid of all disorder. If you really want to see that the first beast is Leviathan and the second beast is Behemoth, yeah, uh, Behemoth, I always say Behemoth, which my wife corrects me on constantly. Um, uh, but behemoth, if you really want to see that these are these creatures, you just look at some of the literature the Jews were writing of the time. They saw Leviathan and behemoth in the Old Testament, and they started writing a lot more about these creatures during the time that Jesus was around. So Revelation has more to think about these creatures than what's just in your Bible, and Revelation introduces them as the chaos forces that God will eventually deal with completely. You also see the sea, which again is chaos. The sea shows up in Revelation quite a few times. You ever notice the water before God's throne in Revelation is glass? It's crystal? Obviously, the sea before God's throne has been tamed to the point that it, it does not move. It's completely unchaotic. God has fixed the waters in heaven. It, there can be no chaos before him. And when it is uh, chaotic, when the water is chaotic, it's not like a chaos like we know. The water doesn't like get wavy. The chaos in the water before God's throne is that the sea of glass gets mingled with fire. Okay, so that's that's interesting. I'd be terrified to fall into that. Uh, and then there's uh, uh, finally at the end when God establishes a new earth, the Bible says the sea was no more. It's all gone. He has dealt with all of the chaos, and He has reigned over it. Order is back on track. Things are going the way that they should be. The way that they were always meant to be back in Eden before Satan brought disorder into the world and set humanity on a different path. This is one of my uh, new favorite pictures of God stabbing a snake. <laughs> it's just God in heaven with a sword looking at Leviathan. Uh, it's just a, 
I don't know if I'd say it's a beautiful picture, but it's just this reminder to us that God will establish order, that He will overcome the things that we go through on a daily basis. You guys have chaos in your life. Tonight in this church, there has been chaos in this church. I blew a fuse like 17 times making you grilled cheese. Like <laughs> One day God will put all grilled cheese right, okay? Uh, but... Uh, my point is, there's all kinds of chaos we go through. We, we turn on the news, we hear these horrible stories, and we're like, how could humanity do this? And sometimes we can just like sense demonic forces behind it. We're like, humanity could never be capable of that. And the truth is, sometimes it's because humanity isn't capable of that. They're being inspired by something else to become capable of that. And here we are, Jesus walking on chaos's face. Jesus telling the chaos to shut up and being successful on it. Jesus being nailed to a cross. The chaos forces don't know what they've done because as they kill him, suddenly Paul recognizes that Jesus has, has beat them. In Narnia, C.S. Lewis says it this way, that, that Aslan knew some some deeper ancient magic that the witch didn't know. And when the witch tried to kill Aslan, she unlocked something. In the same way, it's kind of parallel to a little bit of the cross. Jesus is killed by his cosmic enemies, and he overwhelms them completely. He could already walk on their face. Now he has completely disarmed them to the the highest extent. So, As you come here tonight and you have chaos going on in your life and you wonder, how am I going to deal with this? You wonder, how am I going to push through with this? Is there any light at the end of this tunnel? You need to know that God is in control. It may not seem like it, and you may pray for an answer and not get that answer, but that was his answer to Job. The reason God even brought up Leviathan was to say, there is so much chaos out there, but even Leviathan, even the most dis orderly, unordered thing in creation. I got him on a leash. There's nothing outside of my ability to control. Now, God doesn't often, or God doesn't always like manipulate things to go a certain way. He gives us free will, but he still has the power over all disorder. And sometimes because there's free will, the person that you're dealing with You may not be able to sort things out with them, but you can sort things out with yourself. You can say, God, at least bring order into me so that I can live as ordered as I can, so that I can make my life about establishing your kingdom and about establishing love. Band can come to the stage. Whatever that chaotic moment is in your life, uh, or several moments, or every time you turn on the TV and you see all the chaos, the invitation to today is to turn that over to God Remind yourself that he's bigger than that. And that he loves you very much. There's nothing he doesn't see, even in your chaos. That's the story with Hagar in the Old Testament. She was being treated badly. She ran away. And suddenly, like, she's all alone. She's pregnant. And she's stuck at a well. And God shows up. And in that moment, she's like, I'm seen. She names the well that she was at Bir Laha Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. That was huge for her. In the midst of all of her chaos, God's like, I see it. I see it all. There's nothing I miss. 
Uh, there's going to be a prayer team in the back. You can go get prayer for any kind of chaos you have going on or just anything that you have at all. Here's a few things that I thought uh, maybe God was telling us someone might need prayer for today. Uh, so if this is you, just uh, feel free to go ask for prayer. Um, if you're dealing with some kind of death uh, or the temptation to die, if you're dealing with suicide, there was this just kind of heavy feeling throughout a few cities just around here during the holidays of just like people undergoing a lot of like suicidal thoughts. Uh, in case we still have some of that going around, because I've heard of some of it happening in Chelsea lately too, uh, I just invite you to go get prayer for that. There's more, uh, like I know depression is a brain thing, uh, but there's also more behind that that God would like to, to free you of uh, sometimes. So suicide or death in some manner. Uh, likewise, if you need uh, to be healed from seizures, uh, if you are dealing with gluttony or maybe not even gluttony, it might be depression to the point that like midnight comes around. And it's always around that time you just end up eating all the food in your house. Um, if you're dealing with kind of an addiction to, to that, eating after midnight, that's a, a prayer for you. Also, uh, one more, uh, aquaphobia. Uh, I've heard of people, I, I remember having to uh, watch a friend of mine get baptized who had aquaphobia, which means you're afraid to be submerged underwater. That was a real fun day for her. Um, if you're dealing with that, there's prayer for you today too. So those are just some specifics that maybe came to mind. Uh, but whatever you have uh, on your heart that you need prayer for, the team will be in the back uh, to pray for you today.